the demand for a communal lifestyle in the country is undergoing a revival. In the Tasman district, the communes of the past still survive, but as this Radio New Zealand Insight program finds out, the new communities often have a more middle-class twist. Communes, they called them in the 1970s, often ramshackle retreats in remote valleys where free love and dope-smoking was embraced and conventional society rejected. Forty years on, some of these communities are still thriving in the Tasman district of Nelson, although the way of living is now less flower power and more Generation Y. I'm Jeff Moffat, and for this insight, I've visited a variety of communities. There's the traditional, but also emerging as a new type of middle-class living, but there's growing conflict over planning regulations. Yeah, the, um, the garden area is that flat piece down there. American Jack Santa Barbara is one of three men developing Atamai Village, a new model of rural community living in the Motueka Valley west of Nelson. The real advantages and benefits of the village approach is that you don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to own all of the land. You don't have to look after sheep and chucks and vegetable gardens and energy sources and water systems and And fencing. have all the tools <laughs> and all the equipment, which That's is right. very you important. You share it. The vision for the 70 hectares of rolling hills adjoined by flat farmland is for a village of about 200. Its rural setting is a stark contrast to the concept of gated city communities, and its business-like approach is far removed from the more haphazard growth of early communes. The philosophy, though, is much the same, a group of like-minded people cooperating to reduce the cost of living by sharing land and housing costs, producing food and making consensus decisions about life. Atomai's modern-day hippie founders are three men in their 50s and 60s. Along with Jack Santa Barbara, there's Ben van der Wingart, who arrived last November from Australia to join the project, and businessman German Jürgen Heisner, who came to New Zealand 18 years ago and bought land to begin the Atomai vision. You find that a lot of people in London and in um, larger cities in Europe um, tend to really want to move down south into small villages in the Provence or in, in um, Italy. And um, what we are, what we've set out is basically to recreate that style of living um, here. In the 1960s, Bob Dylan sang about the times changing as the youth counterculture took hold and communes were formed. One of the first in Nelson was set in native bush up the Madaho Valley, near the gateway to the Abel Tasman National Park. Above the sound of cicadas, I talked to Stephen Tate, one of the community's founders 40-plus years ago, when the hippie cliché of free love and marijuana was a way of life. That was definitely how it was then, and you know, sort of visionary, idealistic, and probably a little naive in some things, and innocent, but really having a high... Um, ethical and moral standard as far as, you know, kaitiakiship of the land, custodianship of the land. The Marahou community is a collection of unpretentious wooden houses set amid native bush. The land is leased, and Stephen Tate says residents pay $100 a week in rent to live in paradise. We're able to live here for a, a reasonable amount of money, and that's, that's the key. Um, to be able to be on the land, have your home, have your water supply, your gardens, your firewood, your animals, your families, whatever it is, um, without being in debt. In summer, up to 50 people live here. In winter, the numbers halve. Each household has its own income. There are chefs, kayak guides, masseurs and people in various businesses. 
Stephen Tate says new shareholders in the village are given a trial, and if they and the rest of the community get along, they're invited to join. In addition to rent, residents pay a shareholding costing about $30,000, plus the value of any building they acquire. It's Maori lease land, it's shares in common, so legally... Um, that's, you know, legally, technically that's not the case, but that's just an in-house agreement. You live in a community because you have an attitude that you want to cooperate with people rather than compete. And um, that's worked really well. We've had, you know, you get the occasional person who's, you know, a bit overblown on ego or whatever, and, and you have dramas, and they ultimately self-destruct or move on. So, you know, it's just, you just wake people out. There's the power shed up on the top there. Uh, and down below is a uh, food cave. Like Maraho, the Atamai village near Motueka has a simple living community philosophy, but this project is very businesslike. Jack Santa Barbara says the development will eventually cost 10 to 15 million dollars. There's already a working farm with a manager, and 13 titles have been sold. A further 50 to 60 sections are being subdivided, and a village centre is to be built. Atamai is on land zoned rural residential and has undergone years of consent processes with the local Tasman District Council. But elsewhere in Tasman, others are living communally against council rules by having more than one dwelling on rural land, and the issue is coming to a head. You can see that they're starting to get dry, so we want to get them out and keep them for a few moments. Irma Jager, who's digging onions in her Motueka Valley farmlet, has found herself leading a revolt against Tasman District Council rules. I know lots of families that either are doing what we're doing, but they haven't been uh, <laughs> noticed by the council yet, or and so they're living in fear. Irma and partner Jan Albert Droppers are successful business people from Holland who came to New Zealand and built and sold a gelato franchise. Eight years ago, they decided on a change of life, buying 10 hectares in Tasman's Motueka Valley. A small community of friends has grown around them. What we were doing at that time, we were passionate about, and what we're doing now, we're passionate about. So in that respect, we're still following our heart. The change came, I think, was having children, realising that, you know, that the food that we buy in the supermarkets um, are not the sort of food that I want to eat, really. And uh, that, that was one thing. Another thing is that because we are home educating our children, we wanted to do something that they could relate to a bit more. These days, Emma Jager and family live largely off the land, with animals for meat and milk and a big vegetable garden. Seven others now live here also, some in two yurts or Mongolian tents, and others in a caravan and two other cottages. But the council allows only one dwelling, and it's ordered Irma's neighbours to go. Irma and Jan Elbert are challenging the authority of the council, and are due to argue their case in the Environment Court in March. Chris Colf, who's 70 next month and has spent a quarter of his life in communities, lives in a yurt on the property, and he's aghast at the order to leave. What do you mean we can't live like this? We are living like this. We're really happy living like this. To see those guys looking at our grey water, tiny bit of grey water that comes down here, it wouldn't go more than a few metres further. Meanwhile, farmers are washing superphosphate and and cow, cow shed and, and, and uh, into the rivers. Oh, that's, oh, yes, yes, we are looking at it. Uh, 
Yeah, but give us time. Emma Jager says council officials have found no issues with their sewage and waste disposal. The problem is the multiple dwellings. If that was the only thing, like, okay, we're doing something that's not in the plan, we might have said, okay, you know, okay, that's, we've taken our chances and we're bad luck. But the fact is that the whole valley is full of this and the whole district, you know, if you go to Golden Bay or any other little valley, there's, there's people like that are doing what we're doing. For us it became a thing of also not, not just standing up for what we have here, but also wanting to wake up the council and say, hey, you know, th this is, things have changed, things are changing, people are wanting to live different lives. Like other councils, Tasman District says it must protect farmland from being fragmented so much it becomes unproductive. It also has to guard against changes affecting rural character and landscape and ensure discharges are not harming waterways. The Council's Environment and Planning Manager, Dennis Bush-King, won't comment specifically on Emma Jager and Jan Albert Dropper's case while it's before the court. Not just compliance with the Resource Management Act, there's been issues about compliance with the Building Act and uh, you know, as a local authority we, we uh, don't necessarily go out looking for these problems but if they're drawn to our attention we can't sort of look the other way and particularly if there's you know, health and amenity issues that people raise with us then, then we will investigate. You know, if, if we do get involved in a situation where there's unauthorised activity going on, we'll give people the opportunity to regularise it. If they don't, then they force our hand and we have to go through the process. The outcome of the case will be significant for many people who, Emma Jager says, are secretly breaking the rules on multiple dwellings. It costs her neighbours little to live on her land, but down the Motueka Valley at Atamai Village it's a very different community set-up. To buy a section and build a house here, you'd need five to $600,000. But Ben van der Wingart and Jack Santa Barbara say it's not a rich person's haven. One rental house is already available, and there are plans for more, as well as cheaper apartments and cottages to buy. And make sure that it's not wrongly perceived as only the enclave of people who've got money to buy sections of land. There is of course a dilemma that we need, uh, we need to sell land to pay for the, the settlers who in fact bought the land in the first place. Many of the uh, accommodation units around the village centre will be less expensive because they'll be smaller, because people will have the commons land to mm. share so they don't need to necessarily own, you know, their own, own piece of uh, real estate. The, the other thing that's um, quite unique about this project is that what would ordinarily be a developer's profit is going back to the commons. All the Atamai village homes are new and must meet covenants to be energy efficient, eco-friendly using straw bales or local materials, have solar heating and power, and their own wastewater system and composting toilets. Jack Santa Barbara says the aim is to keep food production and power and water systems as simple as possible to ensure the village against any possible effects from diminishing fuel oil and climate change. If the grid system, for example, breaks down, or imports of certain materials or components uh, are no longer available, our food, our water, our energy and our accommodations will still function well. Jack Santa Barbara says before each newcomer is invited to join, there's a trial period and the existing villagers make a consensus decision on who can stay. He says about a quarter of the section cost of $280,000 goes into the village commons fund to further develop Atomai. The village centre will actually be on that part of the uh, valley on the south side of the road. Jack Santa Barbara says the community will have a real village heart. 
a village square uh, surrounded by uh, a few you know shops and uh, um, apartment buildings and then perhaps just a bit further away some cottages so again uh, lower cost you know accommodation Jack Santa Barbara, who sold a business in Canada to join Atomai, has invested all he has in the project, along with his two fellow developers. Why, you wonder, at their stage of life, when retirement could be a lot easier and cheaper? Ben van der Wingart, a former Australian Air Force pilot, and his wife Sharon, have left a comfortable life behind in the New South Wales coastal town of Kiama, where he was a local councillor. We saw certainly climate change, particularly peak oil, the, uh, the end of cheap oil era, and also the economic collapse, uh, which has already started and has not yet ended, forcing all of us, certainly in the Western lifestyle, to start really rethinking how much we consume, how much energy we use, and the lifestyle that we adopt in terms of our wastefulness. Ben van der Wingard says when he and his wife looked to establish an alternative lifestyle, Australia was not the answer. Australia, in fact, is in a far worse position than New Zealand in terms of the potential impacts of climate change. We're already seeing it there, particularly in relation to water supply and the far stronger urban lifestyle. I actually believe that um, Kiwis are far more prepared by the nature of their having done a lot more with less over the years for the future than, than generally the very highly urbanised Australians are. Jack Santa Barbara, US born but living in Canada for 20 years, also chose New Zealand over North America. Canada is kind of well positioned but when you consider North America as a total, because the border between Canada and the U.S. is really immaterial, uh, it's overpopulated. It's polluted. It's, it's uh, the social unrest there that um, I think is very likely. Uh, it's not going to be pretty. Across the Motueka Valley is another smaller community, Tamanawa Eco Village. You get to it via a steep and windy gravel road with no barriers, a bit like a ski access road. At 185 metres above sea level, it's a wonderful outlook from the ridge where architect Stefan Meyer and therapist teacher Natalie Pollock have developed the property. There are six houses. Each owner has their own land title and there's common ownership of 58 hectares of former forestry some now vested in the QE2 National Trust, a government trust for people who want to protect significant natural landscape. Stefan from Holland and Natalie, who was raised on an Australian farm, met in Israel and have two daughters. They chose New Zealand to build their vision of rural life. It is an eco-village with common interests, but it's still very open and spontaneous. There's no uh, set rules or anything. There's no um, someone who is leading. No one. Everybody owns the land equally. So everybody's equal and people, they can just um, interact whether they want or not and to what level is up to them, really. Knock, knock. Thank you very much. Bush tracks connect all six homes. Marion Edwin lives here with her son and partner Warren, a nurse, and describes the family as average Kiwis. She says they had planned to retire to the country but quickly advanced their plans after a friend in his 40s died of cancer. To me this is a very much a kind of middle of the road option actually. It's, it's, uh, we have the benefits of a beautiful place to live, of living with sustainability. 
really doing it, not just talking about it and going to the eco shows and stuff, but we're doing, um, and that's the principles we're living by. Um, and it, there's a path right down the front here that um, we particularly love. Definitely. In fact, this is the first year the flax has failed and the tuis have been splendid. At Tamanawa, the owners share solar power, have a grey water system which drains into reed beds, have covenants not to use chemicals, and for buildings to have materials and a design that blends in with the landscape. They've been getting rid of wilding pines, and by trapping stoats and rats, the native birds are returning in good numbers. Natalie and architect Stefan say the Tasman District Council planning rules didn't make it easy to create their piece of community paradise. If you would allow more houses on, on, on land for starters, so you can service mm. more houses by the same infrastructure, yeah. you can spread the dose cost already. Mm. I mean, we spent $200,000 on this road. But if we were allowed flat land, well then 200000 could have been taken off the purchase price of all these other people. But the council's Dennis Bush King says allowing more dwellings at the end of a right-of-way can end up costing ratepayers. If you've got a right-of-way, all the owners who have, have, have right over that right-of-way have got to agree to its upkeep and to the way it's used. The more people you have, the, the higher the chances that the relationships will break down at some stage that's, that's, over something. And that's, that's been the track record. And then they say, well, then the council should fix this for us. We pay rates. They should sort it out. A Tasman District Councillor from Golden Bay, Martine Bouillier, however, says there's a way to future-proof such developments. I guess that council's always worried about comeback, you know, that um, suddenly 10 years down the line someone says, oh, but how come they've got curbing and channelling and we haven't, you know, and... There could be some sort of memorandum of understanding or a waiver or something that people signed when they went into these agreements that said we won't ever ask for any infrastructure or anything more from council. We're happy to live in this way. I'm on the way to another community, Tui, founded on the shores of Wainui Bay in Golden Bay 27 years ago. The road in was badly damaged in last December's record flooding, which left parts of the road seriously undermined. The Tui community's land was also badly hit. Three formerly gentle streams through the property became torrents, flooding much of the land and leaving behind a mountain of debris. Bridges were washed away and power, water, sewage and phone systems damaged. A co-founder of the Tui community, Rabina McCurdy and others, say a big positive from the crisis was how the community pulled together, showing its resilience. I would say that was a superhuman effort, and we really discovered what skills there were on the land. There was a lot of really, really good spirit and fantastic cooperative. Oh. This is our home, and um, some people say, well, I'll be buried on the land here. Tui is a charitable trust, and it's different from many other communities in providing education programmes including yoga and permaculture or sustainable agriculture courses and rites of passage workshops for teenagers. The course fees help Tui survive, as does a business making balms and ointments that employs up to 10 people in the community. We keep uh, making jokes about establishing a Riviera. <laughs> the flood damage is stark, as Brooke Weatherall and Joseph Blessing show me the remnants of the community gardens, now covered in one or two metres of sand. They will be rebuilt, but not in this spot. 
Five of Brooke and Joseph's six children spent much of their lives here and were among 22 teenagers at one stage. When, the, when, the, when we had all those teenagers, we actually were regularly cooking for 50 people. Now there are only four children and the community wants to encourage more families to come here to reinvigorate Tui. To allow for growth, that wants to be able to build five or six more homes. But Robina McCurdy says the council consent process will cost $130,000 with no guarantee of success. Almost like a trial, um, but it, it's not called that, you know, with the council. Um, and that's gotten us... Uh, $30,000 already spent, we looked, we, we looked th that we could be spending another $100,000 and, um, and we couldn't afford it so we had to withdraw. Robina McCurdy says TUI was able to be formed under an old Golden Bay County Council rule allowing communes on rural land and she'd like to see that process return. While TUI has its council consent challenges, others are also questioning Tasman District Council's rules on multiple dwellings. Claudia Manderson and Motueka-born partner Wayne have brought a 20-hectare property high in the Brooklyn Valley with a straw bale home overlooking Tasman Bay in the distance. The stream down there actually gives us um, power. works our hydropower system. So, yeah, we're very grateful for that. They have really, like I said, fresh water crayfish in there. So it's a good quality of water. And up there we're having... Claudia and Wayne lived in Germany for seven years but wanted their three children to grow up in rural New Zealand. They've lived in communities and enjoyed the life and now would like to share their land with friends, a couple with two children and little money. Claudia says Tasman Council has advised they'll have to apply for a subdivision to allow a second dwelling and she says that's too expensive with no guarantee of a consent. She says having a second house wouldn't hurt anyone. I don't see any downside. If you are in the guidelines, if they give you guidelines, you know, I think, yes, if there's no impact on the land, no impact for surrounding people, no impact for um, the character of the area, no, they do, they're allowed to build territory. For, for my husband, as he came back after 12 years overseas, gosh, he was scattered, you know, little territory. Look at the houses there. The character for me is lost. I mean, it's, it's still beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful area. They allow a big subdivision somewhere, you know, and it's like, whoa, yuck. Others are also frustrated by planning rules. I'm Michael Thomas, and uh, our company is Sustainable Building Alliance. Mr Thomas wanted to build five or six houses with a shared title on rural land in Golden Bay, but rules require a lengthy consent process. He found another leasehold rural property that says council rules called for a sealed road with curbing and guttering and street lighting. All the people on the road that live there right now, existing owners, who did not want tar sealing, did not want big street lights, did not want the curbing and channeling, did not want any of those things, with all of them signing off and agreeing to it in the consent process of, of getting neighbours to sign off of it, even if everyone signed off on it, TDC said it will still have to be a notified consent. Michael Thomas said the process would have added tens of thousands of dollars to the project with no guarantee of approval, and he gave up. The Tasman Deputy Mayor Tim King says planning rules have to be fair to everyone. People who, who happen to choose uh, to live in a, a less alternative fashion or a non-communal fashion um, they have to meet certain standards, they've got to build their house a certain way, they have to pay certain things. And yeah. To say that if you happen to opt out of that system and want to do something differently, you don't have to meet those standards, I think that would set a pretty 
bad precedent. Emma Jager, who's facing an environment court battle with Tasman District Council, says many council rules are to do with liability fears. I mean, they came here and they worried about our compost toilets. You know, people for thousands and thousands of years, people have been able to look after their own shit. And, and we've learned a lot. You know, we know what is hygienic and not. And then he said, you know, I'm worried about your health. Thank you for your offer. But we are okay. We can look after our own health. We know what we're doing. And, and so why do you need to have council officers to, to come and check? You know, it's like, for me, that is, it's gone way too far. A Tasman District Councillor Martine Bouillier from Golden Bay says her council must find a new way to allow more communal living. We have a very conservative council and I think there is an attitude around the table that this is a bunch of hippies who are looking to get something for nothing. And I think that's very unfair because what, what we're looking at is people... We have a lot of people who love the curbing and channelling and all the, the, the bells and whistles that go with it. We have a hell of a lot of people who are happy to live without that. I think, you know, it would work in council's favour to not be burdening the infrastructure to make these smaller um, properties self-contained. The planning manager, Dennis Bush-King, says the council is as enlightened as any around the country in its planning rules and does grant consents for multiple dwellings. The track record shows that we do do that. We do grant consent. Yeah. It's just that people don't want to get consent and they think they should be able to do it as a, you know, automatic right. That's where the rules don't actually allow for that at the moment. We're going through a review process and you might be able to lift the threshold. But, um, you know, I think the, the track record shows that we're not unsympathetic to that form of living. Dennis Bush-King says in the last three years, 13 applications for second dwellings on Rural 1 land have been granted and 54 on Rural 2 or other land. Whatever the rules, communities in Tasman are here to stay. Stephen Tate from Mudderhoe says there has to be a complete change of attitude about the way people live. I think it needs to get out in the public domain that this isn't some weird kind of escapist thing. This is actually what we're going to have to do to survive. I'm really concerned about what's going down. And I, I see that and if we want to survive here in paradise and on this earth, we're going to have to completely change our approach to how we live. You know? Before Tasman District Council became embroiled in a battle with people in the Motueka Valley, it had already decided to review its district plan, including rules around multiple dwellings on rural land. The Deputy Mayor Tim King says all options will be considered. I guess the key philosophical discussion that the council and the community will have to have through this process, is it an environment where a wide range of productive activities should be enabled or is it an environment where a wide range of residential activities should be enabled and can you have both? The Tasman District Council review of its rules gets underway this year and will include a process of submissions and hearings. However, any changes to multiple housing rules won't come until 2014. I'm Jeff Moffat and that's Insight for this week. If you have any comments or queries, we'd love to hear from you via email on insight at radionz.co.nz or on Twitter at rnz underscore insight. The programme was written and presented by me, Jeff Moffat. It was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by William Saunders. <laughs>